hear now from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that you speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, if I knew what the children's sermon was going to be about, I wouldn't have written a sermon uh, since they knew it so well. But since I didn't know that, I did write a sermon, so now you have to listen to it. And the title is The Absurdity of Grace. The Absurdity of Grace. I wonder if God looked at the prophet Jonah after his three days in the belly of a big fish, shook God's head in dismay, and with rolled eyes said, Jonah, you had one job. In so many ways, there is nothing unusual about Jonah. How many times have we heard in the scripture that a person whom God has called to do a large task is not so eager to do said task? I want to say with a reasonable degree of certainty that when it comes to prophecy, there is a thread of begrudgingly accepted that runs deep. Even given this prophetic precedent, Jonah is outlandish, absurd even. He does not stop at just being begrudgingly accepted to do God's work. Nope, Jonah wins the Oscar for most recalcitrant prophets and heads not to Nineveh, where God has called him, but to the complete opposite direction, initiating just one in a series of absurd events as he seems to become more pirate than prophet. In this ancient theater of the absurd, Jonah is so obstinate about the call on his life that chaos ensues and he literally abandons ship. And perhaps the most gracious action of the whole saga when the prophet Jonah hurls himself into the stormy waters so that the sailors bound for Tarshish are spared. What sort of sentiments could make one prefer the bowels of a big fish over the answering of God's call? What might this scriptural satire be trying to teach us? In a prophetic tale with an overabundance of the absurd, 
How do we stay focused on the sometimes startling, sometimes challenging, and always absurd grace of God? Get up and go to Nineveh. Wake from the slumber of the night to go to Nineveh. 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 Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, known for brutality and oppressive regimes. It is not the place a member of the chosen tribe of Israel would be clamoring to proclaim an oracle that pronounces judgment and destruction unless, unless they repent. Surely the Ninevites don't deserve a second chance, Jonah must have thought. And in all the many ways that Jonah is absurd, there is a haunting similarity between the prophet and the present day. And it is this. It is humanity's penchant for constructing a God of our own design rather than trusting the God who designed us. And the danger in our own construction of divinity is that God bends to our will, our prejudices, our perceived best intentions. This means that God should choose to love whom we choose to love, and God should hate whom we choose to hate. The first time that Jonah receives the charge to go to Nineveh, it is with a qualifier. Nineveh is a place of wickedness. All too often we see difference as wickedness, and the story of Jonah reminds us that we are called to exactly those places. Go to a place where people are different from you, where different languages are spoken, different cultural customs are expressed, different political opinions are had, different sexual orientations, different displays of gender, different races, different nationalities, different socioeconomics, different education levels, different faiths. Go to that place, Jonah, and go to that place, Westminster, and proclaim the gospel of repentance and grace. Go proclaim repentance is near and grace abounds in Nineveh, the place of the different ones. Go to Nineveh and in that place preach to the ones who have hurt and oppressed Jonah and his people because of their perversion of power. To the ones who have exploited Jonah and his people because of their ethnicity. Nineveh is not just the place of difference for Jonah, but the place of oppression. The vitriol that the prophet has for this capital city made great not just because of its location along the river or because of its trade, but because of the ways that oppressive policies and evil edicts became the law of the land. There is an ancient stone that reads these words from an Assyrian king. After Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to his strong cities, walled forts, and countless small villages, and conquered them by means of a well-stamped earth ramps and battering rams brought near the walls, with an attack by foot soldiers. Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence like a bird in a cage. So go to the oppressor and proclaim that in the ways of grace and God, what's mine is yours. This sort of radical universal grace might cause any of us to run in the opposite direction from a God who doesn't fit 
with our particular conceptions of who God is. For if, God's, for if the promises of God are not just mine, but my enemies, count me out. Take me to a place where the chaos of the seas is preferable to the implications of my call. What, then, do we make of this call to go to Nineveh? How do we make sense of proclaiming the gospel of repentance and grace in a place like Nineveh, where glass ceilings remain unbreakable and our people are hemmed in on every side? If this is Nineveh and Jonah must proclaim even the possibility of redemption to them, then it seems better to run in the opposite direction, board a boat, get tossed into the chaos of the sea, and linger in the belly of a beast rather than grapple with the absurdity of the grace of God so freely given, so persistent, so universal. In a tale of absurdities, we can get distracted by the satire of a prophet who wants to hoard God's grace and forget that God's grace has always been the most absurd part not just of Jonah's story, but of our story too. Perhaps the most absurd thing in the story of a prophet and a people who, can go- who concoct a God whom they want to bend to their own will, and even our own will, is that we proclaim the attributes of God without actually letting God be God. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. These are Jonah's last words before he is spit out of the big fish's mouth, commanded yet again to go to Nineveh. This time he goes, and before he can complete his prophetic walk and five-word sermon, the Ninevites have changed their ways. Fasting and mourning are met with grace and deliverance. Jonah does not preach a tent revival sermon that awakens a rustling in the spirits of the large city of Nineveh. He does the work he is called to do with five words, five simple words. And it seems as if an instant, the God who began to rumble in the souls of this expansive city, perhaps before they even knew what those rumbles were, is met by king and cattle alike with the response of faithfulness. God changes his mind, and a city's imminent demise is morphed into unconditional love. It is absurd that though we don't deserve it, God's grace is lavished upon us. It is absurd that the grace that God makes new every morning for us is also new every morning for them too. For that place over there with those people whom we would rather not play with. We do not get to dispense grace based on our subjective understanding of who is deserving and who is not. Redemption, deliverance, salvation, grace has always and will always belong to the God who formed us from the dust of the earth and counted each hair on our head. The God who delivered Jonah from the belly of a fish and the Ninevites from their wickedness is a God who changes her mind and takes pity on her creation. This sort of love is the most absurd thing in the whole book. The book of Jonah is absurd. It is satire that challenges our notions of God and justice. But Jonah is a great story, one told ever so eloquently 
by a cucumber and a tomato and veggie tails, but also read on Yom Kippur. The absurdity of the story draws us in. It is a different way of telling the story of human and divine will. It is, in so many ways, biblical theater of the absurd. After World War II, a new genre of plays emerged in Europe, focused largely on the idea of existentialism, works that express what happens when human existence has no meaning or purpose, and therefore all communication breaks down. In this genre of plays, logical construction and argument gives way to irrational and illogical speech and to its ultimate conclusion, silence. This genre is known as the theater of the absurd. While I am no expert in this genre, other than a quick read on Wikipedia this very morning, I submit that thousands of years before this genre was given a name, there was a prophet and a god who defied logic, a prophet who fled, and a god who forgave, and an absurd thing called grace that held them together. May we here at Westminster never grow tired of hearing the tales of the absurd grace of God. May our stories of God's grace be just as nonsensical as the story of Jonah. May God's grace surprise us. May God's grace inspire us. May God's grace define us. May God's grace leave us stunned and our intellect challenged. May we be captivated this day and days to come by the absurdity of grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.